welcome in everyone to another edition of Hustle With Us. Welcome back in here. We got with us Craig Mushino, obviously sitting across from me today. Craig, how are we doing today? Good. Doing well, Tristan. How about you? I'm doing fantastic. I'm fired up after listening and chatting here with uh, Steve D'Agostino. Yeah, yeah. It's always a good day when we get to interview somebody this passionate about the game, about their business, about training. Everything was great. Exactly right. You know, there's there's an old uh, radio trick. They say smile when you're talking through the mic because people can hear you smiling. Well, you can hear this guy's passion and his voice and his dedication to his craft and what he's doing. I mean, he walks us through everything from his story to how he got to where he is today. And it's no surprise that he's as, as successful as he is training people of all levels. Right, Craig? Yeah, you know, something that really stood out to me in this interview, and you guys are going to hear it in a minute, but, you know, he had a different take from some of the trainers that we talked to before around, around shooting. You know, he's all about the reps, not as much the, the mechanics isn't everything, it's the reps. It's putting in the work and getting things done that way by putting in that effort and putting in the reps that a lot of players just don't do. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we've had a lot of trainers on that really hammer mechanics. It was kind of a different take, but one that makes sense just as equally as the mechanics argument. I would say so. Yeah. He he said, you know, there's nothing wrong with being boring. There's nothing wrong with doing the same exact shot a thousand times in a row. And like you said, the reason that some folks don't always get to that level is because they don't take that time and be boring and put in that thousandth shot or that 999th shot, whatever it is. Like I said, he's a passionate guy. The work ethic on him is is ridiculous. He explains at the beginning of the interview how he's you know a little undersized for most basketball players out there, but no was never an option for him when it came to the game of basketball. Worked his way all up to be an All-American in high school, in college, played professionally overseas. Like I said, running a very successful business now, training athletes of all levels here. But you all didn't come here to hear us talk about it, obviously. Let's get to him right here before we do. You know what to do. Scroll down, uh, give us that five-star rating. If, the, if we're so lucky, mash that subscribe button and make sure you're following us and liking all our content there on, social, on our social media pages. It's at Hustle With Us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Uh, but hey, without further ado, here we go. Coach Steve D'Agostino. Before we get to our interview, a quick word about the Hustle Sports training app. If you're an athlete trying to improve your skills or a youth sports coach trying to develop your players with an effective training program, look no further than the Hustle app. Hustle is the simplest way to learn new sports skills. We partner with coaches and trainers at all levels to produce instructional videos and training plans that will help you to improve your fundamentals and master advanced techniques. Whether you're building out your practice plans or looking to improve your form, techniques, or fitness, Hustle has a training plan for you. Download our app in iTunes or the Google Play App Store by searching Hustle Training or visit our website at hustletraining.com. Get a leg up on your competition with Hustle. All right, here we go. All right, welcome in, everyone. We have with us on the line a very special guest. It's Coach Steve D'Agostino. Coach Steve, he is the CEO, owner, lead trainer for DAGS Basketball. He's also a court coach for the USA Basketball Junior Circuit. Coach, it's great to have you on here tonight. How are we feeling? Good, good. Thanks for having me, guys. I'm excited to be on. 
We're excited to have you. We want to hear about uh, what you got going on over there at Dags Basketball, uh, but we want to start really, obviously, where we start with all of our guests, give a little backstory here. Tell us your story of how you got to where you're at now. I know you played uh, college professionally overseas, but what really yep. pushed you over the edge to get into the coaching circuit? Gotcha. So, you know, my story is an interesting one. You know, I'm five foot 11. I weigh about like 155 pounds. So it's funny when, you know, I'm, I'm training guys now or I go to different networking events and people see me and I tell them that, you know, I was a division two all American and I played six years professionally in Europe. They kind of look at me and they're like, wait, you, you know, so they're not used to seeing guys my size that have done that. So, I mean, my story kind of begins. My dad uh, is a high school coach uh, in upstate New York where I'm from about two hours from the, uh, the capital of New York, Albany. And so like by the time I got into eighth grade, I kind of fell in love with the game. I'd been playing my whole life and I, I just decided to commit myself. And I said, listen, I'm going to do something every single day. I know I'm going to be small, but I'm going to work on getting better over the next four and a half years until I graduate high school. And wherever that puts me along the scale, whether that's, you know, just being a good high school player or being a college player or hopefully being a pro player, you know, we all have great goals and ambitions, you know, that I would accept it and I would go from there. So when I was in eighth grade, I was like four foot 10, ninth grade, I was like five foot three. So I was always super small, but I worked on my game in a way that was like, no nonsense, things that were going to translate into games. And, you know, I made the varsity team as a sophomore and I was five foot six, probably like literally 120 pounds, but I could shoot the ball really, really well. So there was a spot for me. And then by the time I graduated, high school, I played for the Nike AAU team in our area of Albany City Rock. So traveled all over the country, had a bunch of division three interests, had one division two school that offered me a scholarship. I literally sent out, you know, in, in those days, it was like, it wasn't highlights. It was like, you know, like a VHS tape to every division two school, every low division one school in the Northeast and literally heard back from one uh, division two school in my hometown. They offered me a scholarship. I accepted it. And by the time I graduated college, four years later, I was a two-time Division II All-American, two-time Player of the Year in our conference. It was the same conference where four years earlier, I was sending out my game film and stuff, and nobody would return my call. So from there, I decided to go play in Europe. I played for six years, Hungary, Italy, Spain, Iceland, England. And then basically, you know, like I said, I'm a small guy, 5'11", 155 pounds. You know, the years of diving on the floor and taking charges and just playing like a wild man took its toll. And what I had done when I was, when I was finished playing in college was I'd go and play overseas for 10 months. And then when I would come home for two months, I started just by working out maybe like two groups of five of just local high school kids that had seen my success, wanted to get better. So I started small, ran them through drills all summer. And then that kind of built into a camp. And then I kind of got my break my third year when I was playing overseas and I came home two of the high schools in our area decided to hire me as, as a trainer for their teams for their off-season workouts in the summer. And nobody, at least in upstate New York at the time, it must've been like 2011, was doing that. Like trainers weren't like a huge thing, especially in our area. There was no full-time trainer, you know, in upstate New York. It was and really at that time, it's like guys like Gannon Baker, you know, the people who really started it. Like those were the only ones that you really saw that were kind of doing it full-time. Uh, so those teams, I ended up working with them. They, you know, believed in me, trusted in me, and they ended up being two of the better teams in our area. They both won within like the next three years, won state championships. 
you know, and I'm thankful to them that they, you know, allowed me to be a, a little piece of that. But after that kind of happened, then all of a sudden it was, you know, a lot of the schools in our area wanted to work with us. The better players wanted to work with us. And it just kind of blew up from there. Incredible progression. But let's go back yeah. a little bit more to your playing days. You know, early on, you mentioned your dad being a coach. What role did yeah. he play early on with your development as a player? Yeah, it's interesting. It's, you know, and I see it now just with, with training guys, you know, you deal with all different types of parents, all different types of kids who have different, you know, positives and negatives about their attitude, about their games and things like that. My dad, he was a high school coach. He's been a high school coach for over 20 years. He definitely instilled the love of the game into me. You know, my brother and I have an older brother who's two years old and I played at Iona College Division One school and then became a college basketball coach for a handful of years after. So we were always playing. Um, but it wasn't like, it wasn't like, hey, you guys better go outside and, and do your layups and do your ball handling and things like that. It was more of a passive. By the time we got into middle school, it was a passive like, hey, you doing your workout today? And for me, it was, it was almost like never. No, I probably missed literally seven days of working out from eighth grade until when I stopped playing six years after I graduated from college. But it would just kind of, he would just kind of push like, well, you're not going to do it. You know, somebody else is probably out there doing it. And that would be it. You know, so, and, and it's funny when I tell parents that and they're like, no way, no, no, no way did he do that. So part of it for me was I learned how to work myself out. I learned how to be reliant and disciplined in, in what I wanted. And I figured out how to get it. You know, like I learned, I try and tell these guys now, when I was first starting out, you'd get players that you were supposed to train that would text you 10 minutes before the workout. Hey, I can't make it today. And normal people would be like, oh, my God, what the heck? I was so used to it from my friends doing that to me when I was in high school when we were supposed to work out <laughs> that I just did my normal thing. Uh, okay, you're not going to come. I'm going to go get my workout in. You know what I mean? So uh, it kind of built that in me where kids nowadays, I think, it's like, oh, you know, John's not coming to work out. Like, all right, I'm not going to work out today. You know, little things like that. So I'm kind of grateful for the approach that my father took with me. I think it benefited me in, in the long run. Will I be able to do that with my kids? I don't know. You know, I don't know if I'm <laughs> going to trust them to, to go and do their stuff on their own, but, you know, we'll see. Right. So, obviously, you've already demonstrated here such a strong work ethic. When you decided to move overseas to play professionally over there, did you mm -hmm. have to kick it up a notch? What was that transition like for you? Yeah, it was different because the game is so different over there. I actually fit better as a player in the international game than I kind of do in the American college game. The pace is a little faster. You know, you're taught to make reads instead of like, oh, just go out there and make a play. So I fit in pretty well. I was lucky where I didn't get thrown into like a crazy high level. My first year was in Hungary, which is like a, like a mid-level league over there. And my team wasn't very good. So I kind of got the ball put in my hands and it was actually, that's the only team I've ever been on that we had a losing record literally from high school all the way uh, until I stopped playing six years after college. But you know, I got the ball put in my hands. I got the lay of the land. The organization wasn't great. So I kind of got out of the way, you know, in international basketball, some of these organizations, you don't get paid on time, you know, things they say they're going to do, they're not going to do. You know, I kind of got that all out of the way. So after that first year, I kind of had the lay of the land and it kind of helped me get through the next five years. It also helped that my wife now, but at the time was my girlfriend who we met in college. So she would come over once every couple months. So it gave me that kind of feeling of being home and, and you know, I wasn't just like stranded over there. So all that kind of played um, 
a part in my success over there, but it helped me kind of acclimate. And I think that's the hardest thing for players that could go over there is number one, the shock of a different kind of basketball, but then you're just like a lot of alone time. And, you know, if you don't find different ways to use your time or people are coming over, you're making friends with the guys on your team, then you're going to struggle off the court for sure. Yeah. We've heard that before. Um, from other players coming from the U.S. playing in Europe. Staying on the topic of playing in Europe and the style of basketball overseas compared to the U.S., you know, you started out in Hungary, but, you know, you mentioned you played in a number of different countries, a number of different leagues. Did you see stark differences between leagues overseas, or was it mostly the same style of basketball? So most of the style is the same. So like, if you really want to dive into it, you know, you can look at like the, the, the country's international teams, like their teams that play in the Olympics to kind of get a sense of what the basketball is like in their country. So like, you know, if you watch Lithuania play, they're snapping the ball around the perimeter, they're tough, they're rebound, you know, they're physical. You watch France play, they're athletic, they play above the rim, they fly up and down the court. Spain is just, they play it like it's soccer. They play it like it's a beautiful game. You know, they're always making the extra pass. They're playing the right way. They're communicating, things like that. So different leagues have like nuances like that. But as as a whole, because the rules are the same in every single country, you're not going to get a variation of like every country and teams in different countries. A lot of them run the same sets. They have the same philosophies. Like, you know, I remember being in Italy my second year and we're down by three with 15 seconds left. And you know, our point guards bring the ball up the court and he gets fouled. And I had never seen that before. This is before, you know, obviously before like Twitter and all that was huge. And, and I had never once in a game, high school or college or any game that I watched, seen anybody like, oh, we're up three, like we're going to foul. And I just remember like little things like that, where they were kind of like ahead of the game strategically. And now having played over there, I look back and like the things that we were doing, you know, 2010, 2011 are like literally ingrained in, in NBA basketball. And when I was growing up, NBA, you know, 2004, 2005, when like and one mixtape were huge, mm-hmm. you'd watch the game and guys are like doing crazy stuff. And now, you know, I love watching the NBA. The actions are great. Guys guard, they understand how to play. Like literally, if you don't know how to play or like can't make good passes, like you're not going to be on the floor in the NBA. So it's kind of cool to see that progression, but there, there isn't on the court, there isn't that many. There's nuances that are different, but it's not like stark differences. Got it. So we play professionally over there six years, like you said, a number of different teams and leagues. Come back home, you do catch a little bit of a break in terms of starting to work with some of the high schools in your area. How did you really get to the place where you are now? You coach players of all skills, of all levels. How did you go about building that client base? Yeah, so I, to be honest, I kind of just like threw everything uh, at the wall and then I, I figured out what stuck. So I decided after I stopped playing, I'm like, listen, I'm going to do this full time. So I'm going to figure out a way to hit different areas. So not just stay in one area, but find a way to kind of work within a triangle in my area where you're hitting three separate towns and then have people in a five, 10, 15 mile radius in all three of those towns kind of hit it up. So, you know, we started. The high schools gave us good promotion to all of their players and their youth programs as well. I started to do free clinics for all the youth programs as well, or like at least low cost clinics so I can get in front of everybody. And what happened really was by the time I was done playing, and I wish somebody had told me this earlier, like my first couple of years, I, I wouldn't collect any emails. 
So I wasn't collecting really any information. I go in, I do the workout, I get paid and, and that would kind of be it. And then I really put an emphasis towards the end of my career. And then when, obviously when I went full time of anything that I do, whether it's free or paid, I'm going to collect as many emails as possible, which even like saying it now, I look back and I'm like, you know, how dumb was I to not do that in the beginning. But once I started doing that and our product was really, really good, we were honest with the kids. We taught them the right things. We understood how to speak the language of a player. It wasn't just like a coach yelling at them or a parent being negative towards them. So that kind of built on top of itself. And then the other thing that we tried to do, and it helped me that I played overseas. So like when I first came back, my kind of catchphrase was, you know, we're going to teach you European fundamentals with American creativity. Because at the time when I would look at, you know, I was kind of ingrained in both of these basketball cultures. I would look at the European game and it can be flashy, but it's like so fundamental. Like guys are making the right reads. They're making the extra passes. And then you go back and like, you know, obviously American players and you watch the NBA, they're so creative and they can get to anywhere they want on the court because their handles are, are, you know, really tight or, you know, they're super aggressive. So I was trying to merge both of those things and kind of, we tried to stay on that trend. And if you obviously, again, if you watch the NBA and college basketball, now the European players kind of have that creativity as well. And then a lot of the better American players are very fundamental and they're very skilled now. So we try to stay ahead of the curve on that. The other thing that we did that helped us out besides the team training, the camp, you know, all these things that we're talking about with the actual workouts was I implemented a lot of three on three in our workouts. So a lot of trainers, what they do is it's like a lot of skill work. Basketball training has shifted so far towards the skill side that I think it's going to come back around to like, you know, the nineties, the eighties, all that, where like, if you didn't compete and play hard, you couldn't play. And so now these guys that are coming up are so skilled, you know, you have six, nine guys that can handle that can shoot it, but you have a lot of players. And this is a number one complaint I get from college coaches and even high school coaches. Like, you know, Johnny's a really good player, but, he just doesn't play hard consistently. He doesn't know how to compete. So what we've done in a lot of our workouts is we play a ton of three on three. There's nowhere to hide. You can put in a ton of different actions. So kids have to make reads. You still have the ability to go one-on-one -on -one and work on your ability to penetrate and make passes and score the basketball. But it literally gives kids, instead of them going to the gym and getting just reps up where they can get bored with it, we allow them to compete while they're getting reps up. And it not only works on that aspect of their game, because again, my belief is if you don't compete, you can't play at least not on a winning level, but it also engages the kids a little more. So they're more apt to come back in the gym. The more fun kids have and the more they love playing the game, the more they're going to want to put in that hard work. So, you know, you do two sessions where you're doing ball handling, shooting and three on three, and then you sneak in a session where like, all right, guys, we're going to do all reps today. So no three on three, but we're just going to work on our skills you can sneak that in there and they'll buy into it. But if you do only skill work, there's not many guys that are going to buy into it. And then on top of it, you're going to get guys that just, they need the game reps. They need to be competitive. So all that kind of all mixed in together has allowed us to build our base locally. And then it's allowed me to do stuff outside the area as well. No, it's a really interesting take. I mean, we can see that our, ourselves is just seeing the amount of skill some players have, but it, it really comes down to learning that work ethic and, and understanding how to play as a team. So then also you mentioned, you know, your kind of expertise bringing European style to the U.S., but uh, U.S. style creativity to it. 
is there kind of an area of the game that you specialize in like you know ball handling or shooting we've seen some pretty impressive shooting performances on your instagram <laughs> from yeah. yourself is yeah. there a, a certain area that players look to you as an expert on yeah so i think there's two areas one is is definitely shooting the other one is understanding game action so by that i mean like really diving into ball screen off the ball screen really simplifying the game for players so that when they get to college no matter what offense they run whether it's you know drive kick read and react stuff whether it's they're going to do a lot of off the ball screens whether they're going to do a lot of ball screens i can really dive into all those actions and like even our better players and we got guys playing at the highest levels of division one in the nba you know we have really good high school players that are ranked I've literally spent a year and a half with the best players in our area going over reads and having them understanding off the ball screens. So like, you know, I swing the ball and I go and pin down for a teammate, you know, what are you looking for all the time? And, and literally it's like five simple options and they've gotten really, really good at it. And, and what does that do? Like, okay, what if their team doesn't run a pin down? It doesn't matter. They're understanding spacing. They're understanding how to slip a screen. So eventually every offense is going to end up running screens. It allows them to get better at drive and kick situations and find space. So those kind of two things, the shooting and the game actions. And if we're going to look like kind of deeper into the shooting, we've had a lot of guys that have given themselves big time opportunities because they've understood how to make shots in games. So like the guy that I trained in the NBA is Kevin Herter. He's like a six, seven, two, three guard was never highly ranked. I think he was a top hundred guy in high school, played point guard for his high school team, went to Maryland for two years. Again, wasn't like, didn't like blow everybody away when in his two years there, but just has a high IQ, has a really good shooting stroke, make shots. And I mean, he went to the NBA combine, shot the ball really, really well, performed really well in the, in the uh, scrimmages there. and. And by the end of it, had locked himself up as a first-round draft pick, all centered around his ability to kind of shoot the ball and his IQ. We have another kid, Andrew Playtech, who is a prep school guy, was from our area, went to prep school for the last two years, was getting recruited by like all Ivy League schools, and then, you know, had a game on the Nike circuit where, you know, had four or five threes, was diving on the floor, made a couple really good passes. North Carolina offered him. And you know, finally this year, he's getting a big chance. I think he's averaging over 20 minutes a game for North Carolina. We had another kid, Joe Cremo, who played at a low division one in our area, University of Albany, who's one of the best mid-majors actually in the in the country every year. They've had a couple of down years the last two years, but he was an all-conference guy for three years, shot 45% from three, grad transfer to Villanova last year, had an opportunity to play a role on their Big East championship team. So We've had guys like that, that because they could shoot the ball, like, again, if you look back at kind of our whole culture, I guess you would say of Dags basketball, they could shoot the ball. They were super tough. They understood how to play. They competed consistently. And then they're just like good dudes, you know? And, and that's what we've kind of figured out is if you're not a good dude, if you don't work hard, you're not going to, you're just not going to fit in with the people that we kind of have around us. So it's kind of allowed us to build a culture where guys are feeding off of each other. And I'll even give you a, one more story about one of our guys who I, I, and this is a recent one and I love it. We have a kid who his name's Jordan King. He was like a six foot guard undersized, maybe weighed like 165 pounds, 
but averaged 25 a game in New York State's highest classification. His team won like 17, 18 games last year, but was just a score. And I was begging Division two teams to offer this kid a scholarship. And everybody kind of looked at him and was like, ah, I don't know, you know, he's not that tall. He's, he's, you know, he's skinny, blah, 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 whatever. And he went, so he was going to go to prep school. He got a chance to play in one last live period last year before he went to uh, prep school. He played with a different team than he usually plays on. He ended up having eight threes in a game, had like a hammer dunk in the half court. And all of a wow. sudden, all these Division ones uh, offered him for when he was, you know, after his year of prep. And Siena College, which is in our area, they're in the, the MAC conference. They were like, hey, we want you to come here, walk on the first year, and then, you know, we'll give you a scholarship the next three or four years. So he decided to do that. And literally, first inter-squad scrimmage, the kid lights it up. He has 29 points, cut to first game of the year. Their point guard, something happens with their point guard. He's starting the first game of the year hmm. for a Division One school where literally I was begging Division Two teams to even take a look at him literally like five, six months earlier. So, you know, again, his toughness, he's talented, he's competitive, but again, his ability to make shots kind of got him to where he needed to be. Sure. That's an awesome story right there. Definitely. He got what he earned. That's for sure. So yeah. basketball shooting and basketball IQ, two yeah. areas where you specialize. Is there something common yeah. in either of those areas that you see a lot of kids are maybe lagging behind and you really have to point out how to fix these issues? Yeah, it, it's funny because I say this all the time. We do a bunch of different shooting clinics, but literally you can apply these to both, whether it's understanding game actions and really taking the time to learn how to play or being better as a shooter. Both of those, if you really think about it, are boring. Like becoming a really good shooter is one of the, the most boring things that you can do. It means taking a lot of reps, uh, not a fast pace and just really being focused on every single shot. Like if you're going to shoot threes and be a good three point shooter, you need to shoot two, three, four, 500 threes a, a day, but also be locked in on every single one, hold your follow through land balance, make sure you're catching it the right way. All the little things, whatever your checkpoints are, you need to be locked in for whatever it takes you an hour, an hour, 15 minutes. Not a lot of people can do that. I think, and I, I tell this to all of our players, the number one reason why people aren't good shooters is because shooting is boring and they don't want to put in the reps, the meaningful reps where they can actually understand their shot and get better. It's not mechanics because you look around, go watch high school, college, NBA. Literally everybody has different mechanics. So there's not like one set of mechanics that, okay, this is how you need to shoot in order to be better. Everybody's kind of got their different checkpoints. But I promise you, if you – really lock in and take meaningful reps and understand your shot. So like when I say checkpoints, everybody's got checkpoints, whether that is, you know, you have to set the ball on a certain side of your body or your follow through or your feet. Usually everybody's got like two or three that will help them shoot a better percentage. If they don't, number one, understand that. And number two, they don't put in the reps to do it, which most people don't do because it's boring. There's no shot. They're going to be a better shooter. It's the same thing with understanding the game. How can you understand the game and understand how to play? If number one, you don't put in the time to practice it with your teammates, it takes other people to practice that. But then also watch. You have to watch the game. You have to sit there and say, oh, this is what, you know, the Chicago Bulls do on their pin downs. That's what I need to do. Or, oh, there's the slip. Or that's how you set a screen. That's the angle. 
And again, guys don't want to do that. But the mm-hmm. ones that do, especially nowadays, because a lot of people don't do it, they're a commodity because you're in the minority because most people don't have that skill. Sure. So now is there any specific drill that you want your guys doing a ton to get those reps up? And can you walk us through that drill that you teach to your guys? So as far as the IQ goes, I would tell anybody who's listening, whether they're a coach or a player, it's two things as far as like the game actions. Number one, breaking down the game action and playing live one-on-one out of it will allow them to get the most benefit and the easiest way to translate it over into a game. So like if you want to work on getting better at your teammate drives and kicks it to you and just being really efficient on the catch, understanding when to shoot, when to drive, you need to do those reps. Like you can literally take 20 minutes and if you have four guys in the gym and just keep alternating it, you can get 30, 40, 50 reps in in that live game action where you could go play an AAU tournament and maybe get four of those reps. So you can expedite that process just by going game action one-on-one and then also three-on-three and just isolating those actions. And then also if you just play regular three-on-three and don't even put any rules into it, you're going to naturally come across those actions. So you're going to naturally get a driving kick you're going to naturally get a uh, ball screen. So uh, the more that kids can do that, the better off they're going to be. I think kids playing so many organized, and by kids, I mean, you know, younger kids, but also high school kids and our college guys, they play so many organized events that they don't get a chance to just play one-on-one, three-on-three, or even five-on-five, and just don't worry about making mistakes. Play, try the things that you've worked on with your coach, try the things that you're seeing on TV, And don't worry about messing up, but learn from all those mistakes. So that's what I would tell people to implement. As far as the shooting stuff goes, we do a lot of situational shooting. So we'll take um, those same game actions and say, like, okay, you're going to get a lot of your shots by your teammate tribes and you drifting from the wing to the corner. So what I'll do is I'll take that action and starting out, we'll say, okay, you have to make five right? Then the next progression would be like, okay, you have to make three in a row. That's a little harder than just making five. Then we'll take it a step further and say like, okay, you have to make, you know, eight out of 10. And then it's like, okay, the next one, you have to make five in a row twice. So we try and increase their mental capacity and their mindset. So like eventually what we want to do is like with Kevin Herter, who's an NBA guy, or even our other guys that are really, really good shooters. We want to get them to the point where if they're going you know, 13 for 15 from three, they're upset and they're mad Mm -hmm. and they know they can do better. (laughs) That way them stringing together four, five, six, seven makes in a row is like nothing. And so we do a lot of that and I'll have days where, you know, I'll give guys like a a shooting drill. Like we do a shooting drill. It'd be hard to explain on a podcast, but it's, it's tough. It's a three minute shooting drill. It's multiple spots where you have to make three in a row and it's all on the move. So you're getting tired. You know, you could be making two out of every three shots, shooting 67% and not even beat one spot. So, like, I'll have them do that drill. It's a common drill that we use. But then at the end of it, instead of just saying, like, okay, you guys are done. Hey, once you beat this drill, now you got to go from half court to the top of the key and you got to make <laughs> 10 in a row. So, like, you almost make it impossible. And, and, like, it's a bonus. Like, if you beat it, then you're super hyped and that's great. But you're really using it as, like, as they're doing it, like, yo, we're not stopping, even if this takes the whole time, like things like that. But, you know, guys, that's how you build in. Once they overcome that obstacle one time, then all of a sudden they're like 10 in a row. That's nothing. So right. uh, we do a lot of stuff like that with our shooting. And then, again, just simplifying everything. I think good shooters 
you know, catch the ball balanced. I think they hit their checkpoints, whatever those are. And then mm-hmm. my biggest thing with shooters is that they can shoot the ball straight. Like, I don't care what your form looks like. If you can shoot the ball straight consistently, you'll figure out the distance and that thing will start going in. So we do a lot of stuff that just kind of helps our guys shoot the ball straight. There you go. And sometimes fix the mentality is just the way to do it right there. Well, coach, exactly. I appreciate your time here tonight. We want to close it down here with something we do with all of our yeah. guests. It's a little rapid fire around. Uh, we're just going to throw cool. some balls at you, throw some questions at you. I uh, usually yeah. come back with the first thing that comes to mind. Sound good? Yeah, cool. All right, here we go. Uh, favorite sports movie ever? Oh, my God. Uh, he got game. Nice. All right, got that one. What's the best warm-up music before a big game? I'm going to have to go back with my high school because, you know, like memories, right? Mm-hmm. We used to listen to uh, 50 Cent when his first <laughs> album came out. It was, that it. was fire. Get Richard, That's great. Get Richard Dye trying. Love it. All right. Best yeah. pregame meal. I'm Italian, so pasta. Love it. Awesome. That's uh, that'll wrap it up right there. Coach, appreciate it. One more time here. You can maybe take a look at that shooting drill you're talking about on your Instagram there. It's yeah. Steve Dags Zero. For those of you that want to check yep. it out, make sure you check out Dags Basketball as well. Coach, appreciate the time, and uh, hopefully we can check in with you down the line here once we see Kevin Herter and the rest of your folks out there lighting it up this year. Sound good? Absolutely. Thanks for having me, and I really appreciate it. And you guys do a great job, so I'm looking forward to catching the rest of your podcast as well. 